Welcome to worship in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are grateful that you are here with us uh, to worship at Fellowship Church. Whether you are new to the faith or been faithful for generations, whether you are rich or poor, whether you're under 40 or over 40, uh, we have come. uh, Oh, yeah, thank you. Yes. We have come to join our hearts in worship. So let's stand together and hear this word from John's revelation. Grace to you and peace from the one who is and the one who was and the one who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the firstborn of the dead, the faithful witness and the rulers of the king or the ruler of the kings of the earth. Let us worship together as we join our heart, our voices in song of praise. Slay. 
You may be seated. Let's pray together using words of Thomas Merton. Our Lord God, we sometimes have no idea where we are going. We strive but fail to see the road ahead of us, and we cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do we really know ourselves, and the fact that we think we are following your will does not always mean that we are actually doing so. But loving Father, we believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. We hope and pray to have that desire in all that we do. We know that if we follow you, you will lead us by the right road, though we may know nothing of it. Therefore, we will trust you always, though we may seem to be lost in the shadow of death. We will not fear, for you are ever with us, and you will never leave us to face our perils alone. We entrust our lives to you for your kingdom and your glory, knowing that your grace will lead us home. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, we invite you to stand one more time as we sing one of everyone's favorite hymns, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. And when we get to the last verse, if the Spirit moves you, don't be afraid to move. Please rise.
to our volunteer worship team who's with us this morning uh, in large part because Jess isn't here. Thank you, Meg, Matt and Megan Abbott, for leading us this morning. Well, my friends, the peace of Christ be with you. We are going to invite you to share a sign of Christ's peace with one another, and you can do that in a multitude of ways. You can lead by example with the person that you are reciprocating your peace with. So you can either give them the peace sign, and then they'll know, we'll give you the peace sign. If you want to give them a fist bump, you can give them a fist bump. If you want to shake hands, lead with your handshake. But, you know, try to be respectful of the other person. So please share a sign of Christ's peace with one another. You may be seated when you're done. (laughs) Welcome again to Fellowship Church. My name is Nate Skipper, and I'm one of the pastors here where our mission is to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. If you are visiting with us, welcome. One of the ways in which we kind of uh, shorten that little mission statement is that we say that we seek to be a people who belong, grow, and serve uh, together with Christ and by the power of the Spirit. And so this morning, for announcements, I'm going to share some opportunities for us to both belong, grow, and serve, but I'm going to go in the opposite order. First, service, uh, because this morning, like soon, uh, you can join a group of people in the gym. We are packing boxes for Community Action House. They are going to be moving out of our gym at the end of this month, and they need help with a blitz of boxes. And this group already volunteered. Look at how cool. I mean, they're having so much fun, aren't they? You know, you too could have that much fun uh, this morning, right after the service for one hour. uh, It'll just be a little quick little box packing session. Jen Solis will be in there, and she'll train you up. Uh, Or, if you want to come back on Tuesday, you can do that for a couple hours on Tuesday morning from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. First opportunity for serve, Community Action House. Second opportunity is tomorrow there's some fellows that are going to be driving to do a little disaster response in Detroit. They had that massive flooding. You saw the cars like floating down the highway. Uh, And there's a group of uh, guys that are going uh, and they're going to be in a 15-passenger van and there's a a little bit more room. So if you want to join about 8 or 10 guys uh, going to Detroit uh, tomorrow from 6.30 a.m. to 6.30 p.m., talk to myself or Chris Gibson in the back there with a white shirt, or a cool shirt, by the way, with something on it, you know. Uh, anyway, so that's serve. Uh, Community Action House or uh, tomorrow morning, uh, head to Detroit and help clean up some uh, flood damage. Grow. Uh, we join with us. Uh, one way in which you can grow is to join with us in our worship series this summer. We still have a few books left uh, for our Reconnecting and Rising Strong series. And also, you can tear off that little thing at the bottom of the bulletin with a word of the week. I think Pastor Ross is going to try to like stack the deck and tell you what word, but I, I usually try to do the opposite of whatever Pastor Ross says. And you can too by coming up with a creative word. I'm just kidding. Pastor Ross is awesome. Uh, belong uh, is our last thing. And as you know, we 
we as a community are seeking to belong to one another in the midst of a transition. And uh, every church is always in transition, but in the, in the season that we're in without uh, one of our three pastors, uh, we are in the process of uh, forming a search team. And so if you would like to nominate someone from our congregation uh, to be a part of that team, uh, we encourage you to do so. I had a little note card. Oh, yeah, it's still here. Uh, it looks like this. There's some in the back. Uh, you can submit some names and then also some reasons why uh, those people might be particularly fitting uh, for the uh, search team, and then just drop them in the offering plate at the, uh, at the end of the service. We seek to be a community that belongs, grows, and serves, not just for those of us gathered, but we do that in really age-appropriate ways as well during the service service by uh, inviting our children to meet Miss Betsy by the coffee uh, station uh, during this next song uh, as we, uh, the rest of us, prepare our hearts uh, for what God might be saying to us. Uh, you can listen in to this new song or uh, participate as you're willing. So let's listen in.
Thank you, band, for leading us and Fellowship Church. Good morning. The Lord be with you. I invite you to join me in prayer. Oh, God, our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we prepare now to open your word again, I pray that you, <clears throat> that you would make it to be for us God-breathed. And useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I pray that you would make it to be for us alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, and serving for us as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I pray that you, O God, would send forth your word and do with it just as you have promised, refusing to allow it to return to you empty. Let it be so now, even this morning, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> Frog in my throat. Hey, today we turn to a Bible character who is famous yet again, even infamous. Occasionally we come across these characters in the Bible. Some of them are lesser known, maybe known only in Christian circles like Judas Iscariot or something like that. But there are others who are as well known in pop culture as they are at churches. We saw this a few weeks ago with the story of David and Goliath, which actually ends up on Wikipedia as the lead example of an underdog story. Well, our story today is similarly famous, and it has even ended up with this character being named in newspaper headlines as recently as even last week. Uh, it appeared in the Cape Cod Times and the Jerusalem Post. I wonder if you caught this particular story. Maybe? No? This was the headline. Man swallowed by whale and survives. Modern day Jonah story. It happened off the shores of Cape Cod, Massachusetts. This man is a commercial lobster diver who's just doing his thing, and all of a sudden his whole world goes dark because he was swallowed whole by a humpback whale. And he was inside the whale for about 40 seconds, dark and all. And eventually the whale decided he didn't want to eat this guy for lunch, accidentally swallowed him, and so he spits him out, Jonah style. And this was witnessed by other boats nearby. The man emerged with a new lease on life and a dislocated knee. Interesting. Well, the Bible uh, character that this is referring to, of course, is Jonah, one of the 12 
minor prophets that appears kind of stacked up at the end of the Old Testament. Most of the minor prophets are obscure and often easily forgotten, but not Jonah. Almost everybody knows at least something about Jonah, right? And I'm wondering if you'll play a little word association game with me. Say the first word that comes to mind. If I say Jonah, you say whale, right? That's a gimme. If I say Jonah, you say whale. And if I say whale, you say no. Mm -mm. (laughs) I'm tricking you there, but I really want to instill in you a different answer to that. This is my cheater word for the week, grace. So when I say whale, you say grace. Let's try again. If I say Jonah, you say And if I say whale, you say grace. Very good. Because Jonah is really a very strange story of grace. I love the way that the people over at the Bible Project put this. They make videos that highlight stories of the Bible like Jonah, and they say that this book in particular is trying to mess with you, and that when you open it, you will read the story of Jonah and hopefully see your own self reflected back as in a mirror, just like it happens to that woman there. The story of Jonah comes to us in four chapters, and I see it as four scenes. We're going to look at those together today. Scene number one is the shipyard scene where Jonah goes left when God clearly says go right. Scene number two is the fish belly scene where Jonah takes the world's first submarine ride. Scene number three is the cow field scene where Jonah preaches a pathetic sermon to almost no one. And then scene number four is the pouty pants scene where Jonah gets mopey because God is gracious. I want to invite you to take the story with me frame by frame, starting with the shipyard scene. This is the way the Bible tells it. Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. It takes a mere three verses for us to, to learn that Jonah's prophecy book is quite different from all of the others, and Jonah himself is quite different too. Having heard clearly what God wants him to do, Jonah almost immediately does the opposite. So there's this city called Joppa or Jaffa, and Jonah jumps on a boat going to the opposite place that God tells him to go. Now, in Jonah's defense, it is quite likely that he both hated and feared the Ninevites. Most people did. The city of Nineveh is described as a great city, famous for evil. It was one of the major cities in the Assyrian Empire, and Assyria is still known today to be one of the most ruthless nations in antiquity. Back then, if the world was a playground, the Assyrians were the neighborhood bully. Back then, if the Assyrians had a basketball team, they would be the Detroit Pistons team of the late 80s called the Bad Boys. They were the people that everybody loved to hate, sometimes because they deserved it and sometimes simply because they were not 
us. I realize that you all here today are wonderful people, and you probably don't have very many enemies, but I want to invite you in the secret chambers of your heart to call forth an enemy that you might have had, either in the past or in the present. Maybe it's a neighbor who drives you nuts. Maybe it's a friend who bailed on you when times got hard. Maybe it's the person who goes slow in the fast lane or who cuts to the head of a traffic jam. Maybe it's a competitor in the business arena or a current colleague who treats you like crud. Maybe it's a person or an organization that stands firmly against the very thing that you stand firmly for. Whatever it is, chances are your enemy is anyone and everyone who has hurt you somehow. And the Assyrians had hurt the Israelites. The all-too-familiar pattern that happens throughout history is that hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. Brene Brown, in her book, calls this offloading hurt. And so Jonah, in this story, when asked to represent God to his own enemies, he does the chandeliering thing. You know what the chandeliering thing is? If you know of a person who has a broken rib or a really spooked cat, sometimes our hurts or our fears are so tender that if you touch them, you jump up and cling to the chandelier. And that is really what Jonah does in this particular case. God mentions Nineveh, and Jonah runs in the opposite direction. The double ouch for Jonah is that not only does God have concern for the Ninevites, his enemies, but God also might intend to reach them through him. It's kind of funny, really, if it wasn't so personal, which is true for many of our stories, too. And some people think that the Jonah story actually is a kind of comedy, and it really becomes quite funny if you map this opening shipyard scene You'll see that, according to the story, God sends Jonah to Nineveh. Well, Nineveh would be a place to travel by land. It's 500 miles away. That's a long ways. But how far away is Tarshish? 2,500 miles away that you now must travel by sea. It is five times further away than the place that God originally sent him. So he runs on a way that is significantly longer and significantly more difficult than the place that God sent him in the first place. I wonder if you can relate. Have you ever known clearly what God wanted you to do and then you did the opposite? Yeah, me too. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 7 uh, in the doo-doo passage, at least that's what I like to call it, where he says that oftentimes I do not do the thing that I should do, but the thing that I shouldn't do, I do that thing. It's the doo-doo passage, and we do that kind of thing often. I think the truth is, more often than not, it's not that hard to discern God's will for us. There's 613 commands in the Old Testament. There's the example of Jesus in the New Testament. We have 2,000 years of Christian history full of good and bad examples alike. It's not that hard, typically, to discern what God wants for us. And yet, sometimes we still don't do it. 
Jonah's map is a rather funny reminder to us how silly it is that our shortcuts end up often being five times longer and far harder than if we would have just gone God's way in the first place. You'll notice on the map also that as Jonah goes the opposite direction, there is a great big storm and a great big fish ready to meet him precisely as he runs. Jonah will neither foil God's plan nor escape out of it himself. Hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to Nineveh he'll go, whether he takes the short way or the long way, right? The grace lesson from this opening shipyard scene is simply this. God's grace is God's to share. And the emphasis is on God's prerogative, not mine. God's grace is God's to share. Well, eventually, the shipyard scene gives way to the fish belly scene, and this is how the Bible tells it. Jonah's on his boat off to Tarshish in that 2,500-mile other direction. And verse 4 says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break apart. So the sailors asked Jonah, What should we do to make the sea become calm for us again? And Jonah responded, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. For I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. So the sailors took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea became calm. But the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, and eventually the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up on dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And there you have it, the most famous part of the story. What grace, right? I mean, Jonah flees and God follows. Or or even better than that, God sends ahead of Jonah a storm to slow him down and God sends behind Jonah a fish to catch him when he falls. And all of it is grace. There's an old saying by which God has been called the great hound of heaven. And the whale in the Jonah story is a perfect illustration of that. God is the great pursuer of us, of Jonah, and even of the Ninevites. God will give up on none of them. I found myself this week at a little bit of a loss of words of how to invite you into this very grace space that is God's. And so I want to actually point your attention to the screen and suggests an ancient practice called Visio Divina, spiritual seeing, the spiritual reading of art. This is one of Joel Schoontanis's pieces, and it is Jonah inside the whale. It's called Plan B. Picture yourself there. And remember, friends, the fish is grace. It's Jonah's second chance. It's a crystal clear reminder to us that God is not only relentless in pursuing the Ninevites, but also in pursuing Jonah himself. Do we have any Star Wars fans in the room today? Yeah, me neither. Most of you, you're ashamed. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> There's a scene in these movies that I don't like uh, in the movie called The Emperor Strikes Back, but it's remarkably similar, in my opinion, to this fish belly scene for Jonah. Luke Skywalker is being trained by a Jedi warrior named Yoda. He's the short green guy who talks funny. And, uh, and Yoda uh, is pointing Luke to go into this cave. And Luke looks at this cave and sees that it is dark and that it is scary. It feels cold, seems a bit like death. And Yoda says to him, In you must go. In you must go. And Luke asks, well, what's in the cave? And Yoda responds, only what you take with you. And then he adds, your weapons, you will not need them. And so then Luke, quite timid, quite afraid, slowly enters this cave because Yoda sent him there. Inside the cave, he encounters his arch enemy, Darth Vader, the heavy breather, right? Right? They fight like they typically do, and he cuts off Darth Vader's head. And lo and behold, as it falls to the ground, the mask disappears, and it turns out there's Luke's own face. He was fighting against his own self. The cave becomes this kind of psychological, spiritual place of self-encounter. It's the one of which Yoda says, in you must go. I think the same might be said of God's fish, which represents grace to Jonah. In you must go. This fish is the one that chased Jonah down. The fish saved Jonah from drowning. The fish got Jonah praying. The fish took Jonah from where he was to where he was supposed to be. The fish represents God's grace. And in you must go. As we continue together on our summer journey of reconnecting and rising strong, I can't help but think that this is essential and central to the journey. We too must have our fish experience with God's grace, and in we must go. If you'll allow me to shift movie scenes to maybe one that some of you like better, Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump's a great movie. If you remember the shrimp scene, I love that scene. So uh, Forrest has a friend named Bubba. They're in the army, and they're doing these mundane tasks. They're cleaning guns. They're polishing shoes, cleaning the floor with a toothbrush, and it takes all day. And this whole way long, Forrest's friend named Bubba is just rattling off over and over again all the different ways that you can cook and eat shrimp. You can barbecue it. You can boil it. You can broil it. You can bake it. There's pineapple shrimp, there's lemon shrimp, there's coconut shrimp, there's pepper shrimp, there's shrimp soup, shrimp stew, shrimp salad, shrimp burgers. You get the idea. It just goes on and on and on. What I want to suggest today, friends, is that we Christians ought to know God's grace as well as Bubba Gump knows shrimp. In the world of Christian doctrine, there's all kinds of different words for the grace that God extends to us. Prevenient grace is the grace of God that goes before us. Common grace is the grace of God for all people everywhere. Saving grace is a grace that then gets broke broke down into all kinds of other categories. Electing grace, regenerating grace, justifying grace, where Jesus is our great justifier. Sanctifying grace, where the Holy Spirit makes us new. 
sustaining grace where God keeps us and will not let us go. God's grace is abundant and free and powerfully transformative and fundamentally good. We Christians ought to know grace as well as Bubba Gump knows shrimp. Grace is God's all-important thing, and it is all around us, like Yoda's cave and like Jonah's fish, in you must go. And the grace lesson from scene number two, the fish belly scene, is that God's grace is for us to experience. Of course, the fish belly scene eventually gives way to the third scene, which is the cow field scene. And the Bible tells it this way. Chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to walk through it. Jonah began by going one day's journey into the city and proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the Ninevites believed God. When God saw that what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. The word of the Lord. Scene number three is proof that God's grace can and does do the impossible. Again, the scene is really rather comical. Let me tell you why I call it the cow field scene, the text tells us, as you just heard, that Nineveh was as big as a three-day walk. Well, the average person today, and back then certainly, can walk approximately 20 miles in a day if determined. So this place called Nineveh was, say, 60 miles wide-ish. But of course, as you can see on the picture up there, most cities everywhere, even today, have a central kind of nucleus, and then the rest of it is surrounded by suburbs or farmland in their particular case. If you compare it to the city of Chicago nowadays, the Chicago metropolitan area is as big as 10,000 square miles. That sounds unrealistically big to me, but that's what Google says, 10,000 square miles. But of course, the place we know of as Chicago, downtown, is only a mile, five mile, ten mile, smaller, much smaller section, right? So in this story, when it tells us that Jonah walks one mile towards this centrally located city, he's very likely still out among the cows. He is not in city central. And we know that because the word does not reach the king directly, it reaches him later. Jonah is offering his sermon out among the cows, basically, and a few other people hear it. And the odd thing about scene number three is that Jonah obedient is almost worse than Jonah disobedient, because now he is doing God's will begrudgingly. Now he's doing it pathetically. He offers an eight-word sermon, shortest sermon ever, and a wonderful response Thanks be to God. Somehow, in God's economy of grace, the whole city of Nineveh and even the animals respond to this message of Jonah. It's kind of funny, and it's surprising. The grace lesson for us to learn from scene number three is that God's grace can and does do the impossible. But 
you'd think the story might end there. Happy ending. It doesn't. There's one more scene, and the scene is called the pouty pants scene. At least that's what I call it. This is the way the Bible tells it. Having all of that good stuff just happened, chapter 4 then says this, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became very angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Can you hear the pout there? I knew it, God. You're good, right? So, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And God responds saying, Is it right for you to be angry? A little plant thing happens, and then the story ends with the Lord finally asking a question to Jonah. It says, Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left and many animals? Question mark, the end. The word of the Lord. If you are still clinging to the idea of Jonah being some kind of hero of the faith, now might be the time to just stop. The story starts with Jonah running, and it ends with Jonah pouting. Jonah is not the hero of the Jonah story. God is. In fact, let me put it into perspective for you with a few statistics. If I were to ask you, what is this whole story of Jonah really all about? Most people, the most common answer is it's about a fish. That's the most familiar, right? It's a big fish, too. It's exciting detail. The fish is mentioned four times in the story. Others might say that the Jonah story is about the Ninevites, about these people that God has a surprising concern for, and that's true, sure. And the Ninevites are mentioned nine times in the book of Jonah. Still others will say this book is about Jonah. After all, it's named after Jonah. It's the book of Jonah, this peculiar prophet of God's. And Jonah is mentioned 18 times in the book. But there is something else mentioned in Jonah's book, not four times, not nine times, not 18 times, but a clean 38 times. And that something is God. The Jonah story is about God from start to finish and very specifically about a God of grace. Grace that shows up in the form of a, of a fish. Grace that cares even about those other people, the Ninevites. Grace that will even chase down this disobedient prophet named Jonah. It is about grace from start to finish. And the story itself ends with a question. The question is there for you. It's there for me. It's there for us, the readers of the text. The question is this. Will you join God's party of grace? Will you join the party? Because Jonah's sitting outside it, still pouting. And it leaves us with that cliffhanger. But the story from start to finish is about God and God's grace. The shipyard scene reminds us that God's grace is God's to share. The fish belly scene reminds us that God's grace is for us to experience. The cow field scene reminds us that God's grace can and does do the impossible. And the pouty pants scene reminds us that God's grace is not 
for us to hoard. So let me ask you one more time. If I say Jonah, you say? And if I say whale, you say? Let it be so for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you please rise and join us with this ending song?
Well, friends, I hope the Jonah story is now messing with your head in the best way possible. It is ultimately a story about God, and the fish represents God's grace in you must go. As you go from this place to do just that, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.